The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Hey, oh, hey, it's Wednesday. We're back. It's Fantasy NBA Today. We are spreading the fantasy thick on the burger right now after a couple of months. So fantasy. How do you like that for a terrible French accent? I am Dan Basbris, your gracious host, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you guys know the drill at this point. And this is a hoop ball presentation. Hoop-ball.com. Hoopball tweets is what you want to follow for everything going on. We're back to, I mean, obviously you can follow Hoopball Fantasy because a box score breakdown episode just posted uh, with a three-man crew. That's pretty good. Oh, how about that? Marcus, Brad, and David all together talk coaching carousel. That just dropped over at Hoopball Fantasy, but that'll ultimately get retweeted by Hoopball Tweets. That's the one you want to check out if you want everything going on uh, at Hoopball, which really we never slow down. That's the beauty part. We're going to be chugging out. We're going to be churning, chugging and churning content for you all throughout whatever this offseason length may be, hoping that we are under the three-month mark if indeed it... Uh, it ends up being mid-January. I guess MLK Day is what? It's the 18th, I think, of January. So if that's the case, and we're under three months from that, and I would, I would happily take that. We are in narrative assessment season here on the podcast. And what I mean by that, and you guys have been listening, so you guys know the drill at this point, we are looking at how teams did last season, this most recent year, I should say, the recently completed bubble season, and assessing what that means for their plans for this coming year. Meaning, what do we think they're going to do with regards to free agents? What do we think they're going to do in terms of how hard they're going to push their key players? And that that ends up being the big question. Is this team going to push? Is this team going to push hard? And if that's the case, then we probably want a lot of their guys uh, on our fantasy team. We want guys that are going to be playing 75 to 82 games. That's a really big deal, specifically when you're talking about the first five rounds of fantasy sports. Because once you get beyond that, if you're in a games cap roto format, which is basically the way I'm assessing the talent, the value of these players, once you get into that 75 to 100 range, you start to think, okay, well, look, if this guy misses 10 games, I'd rather have a guy who's a top 65 player who misses 15 games and a top 85 player who plays in every game. Because my thought there is, I can probably find someone around top 85 on the waiver wire if I'm just in constant roster burn mode, which is a pain in the butt. I'll admit it's not simple, but maybe a better example is, would you rather have somebody who's top 65 who plays in 50 games or top 100 who plays in all 82? And I'd rather have the 65 guy. Because I'll, I'll find a top 100 guy to fill out the other 32 games of that roster slot. So I'd rather have 50 games of a top 60 guy plus 32 games of a top 100 guy as opposed to just 82 games of a top 100 guy. It's not quite so black and white when you get into the, the thick of the season, but that's just a way to think about it here, where that cutoff might be. But fear not, we will talk about that type of stuff as we start to round the bend, whatever that... Whenever, whatever, that bend 
happens to be this weirdo offseason. We're not diving into that too much right now. It's just something to put in the back of your head as to why we really are, during this assessment period, focusing on those top 50, top 60 type of guys when we're talking about who's going to actually get pushed in fantasy. And it's why it's like, you know, with the Clippers, they might have someone who's a top 100, top 120 guy. I don't care if that dude's getting pushed. The reason we're focusing on these players is because you want your the guys you're spending on. And when I say spending, you know, for, for auction drafters, that obviously is a, a much more one-to-one correlation. I, I think of it as anytime you're using an early pick, that's spending. We left off at the Brooklyn Nets on yesterday's show because I felt that was kind of a loaded team and I didn't want to rush it towards the end. We're going to try to go Nets, Magic, Wizards, and Hornets today, and then we'll finish up the Eastern Conference tomorrow. But the Nets are an interesting case study because you can't take anything away from what they did this year. The Nets went 35-37, and and they were basically without their two superstars, Kevin Durant. 100% without, he did not play this year. Kyrie Irving played but 20 games this season. He was brilliant when he was on the floor. 27.5 points, 5 boards, 6.5 assists, 1.9 defensive stats combined. He was 48% from the field, 92 at the free throw line. I mean, everything about his numbers were, it was all spectacular, but he didn't play. And so, trying to figure out what this team is going to do this coming season is a little weird because there's there's a bit of a Clippers feel. Not in that, you know, uh, not so much in, I think this team is going to flame out at some point. I, that, that, that was, none. I definitely didn't see that coming with the Clippers. I thought they were actually going to win the title this year. Just from the, look, this team has two superstars. We know one of the two superstars is going to be getting scheduled rest dates, and the other one is coming off of an injury as well. Okay? So I don't even care which one you compare them to. We could say Kawhi and Kevin Durant are sort of in that same boat, in that, you know, KD missed a ton of time with a a massive injury, but he's coming into this year. By all accounts, we're told he's healthy. He's going to get scheduled rest days coming off of an injury that large. And so you just call him the Kawhi effect. Load manage. And then Kyrie, I think you can compare a bit to Paul George in that he is also coming off of an injury, but it's not quite as severe. I mean, it's still significant, but it was shoulder this, like that. Obviously, they tried uh, the cortisone injection in the shoulder, and that bought him a little bit of time. It's really, I mean, Paul George, remember, he had operations on both shoulders coming into this last season. So there's going to be some rest games. The difference, of course, is that Kyrie had his operation months ago, and the season we still don't have a start date for. With Paul George, we knew going into the season he actually wasn't going to be healthy for day one. What that led to on the Clippers' side was kind of a mishmash regular season where none of their main guys played as many games as you'd want them to. Kawhi played in, what, 57 of their games this year but he was spectacular when he was on the floor. Paul George played in only 48 of their games this year, and he was actually worse than his 21-per-game ranking pre-bubble. He actually was better as he because he was healthier by that point, physically, maybe not mentally, but, but certainly physically. And I think you're looking at something not that dissimilar 
for Brooklyn this coming year, where Kawhi missed, what would it be, like 16 of their games? Did the Clippers play 73 this year? No, 72. So he missed 15 of their games. Paul George missed 24. Um, I mean, that's a lot. I don't know if it's going to get quite that quite that high with KD and Kyrie, but you're talking about, again, one guy coming off of a potential career-altering injury and the other one who just basically doesn't ever play a whole season. So what are you expecting out of these guys? It's they don't have the luxury of hard-pushing the regular season next year. They simply can't. They have to rely on the confidence that if they do have a decent playoff run, it'll come because they are healthy and not because they have brilliant chemistry or home court advantage. They're going to have to probably throw some of that stuff to the side. Having their current team plus Kevin Durant immediately puts them as a top five seed in the Eastern Conference. Easily. Easily. Like, there's no question in my mind that they add something like 7 to 10 wins season over season, and it could be even more because Kyrie Irving is fantastic and Kevin Durant is is triply fantastic. He he was, prior to injury, one of the best players in the NBA, hands down. What the, what the team does with the rest of their pieces is still kind of anybody's guess. Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan are still going to be fighting for those center minutes, and then you've got Dinwiddie, whose role is going to be dramatically decreased unless he gets traded. Same story for Karis LeVert. Torian Prince... Uh, maybe he's the starting small forward on this team. I, I, you know, I really don't know. Is Levert the starting shooting guard? Is their starting lineup next year going to be Kyrie, Levert, Prince, KD, and DeAndre Jordan? Does Garrett Temple? I don't even, actually, he might be a free agent. We'll check that out here momentarily. The point is, when you're talking about who's going to push next year, it's not going to be those guys. It's not. One thing I think you'll look for is how do they deal with the center spot? Because as the season progressed, you could see the Nets were turning more towards DeAndre Jordan. And in the win-a-championship mode that Kyrie and KD are going to want this team heading towards, you've got to think that they're going to then have the final say, pretty much, on who's getting the center minutes. And they love their buddy, even if Frankly, you know, more development from Jaron Allen would make him the better player soon, if not already. But there's other factors that that go into this stuff, this politicking and behind-the-scenes things. All that to say, roll it all together, and I don't, I don't know how you truly trust these guys. You might, you, you might get, get, you really might get fantastic per-game production from Kyrie and Kevin Durant. But I don't, I don't see either one of them playing more than 70 games this year. I just I don't know how it possibly happens. You're probably going to see a, a season with a slightly condensed schedule, if I had to guess. I don't think you're going to see the, the ultra-long breaks, the, the minimizing four and fives, the minimizing back-to-backs wherever possible, the long all-star break. The NBA is going to be trying to shave days off here and there to start to work back towards a more traditional NBA schedule because the season starting in January, you're, you're finishing up like about a month probably before we finished this year. Now they also want fans in the stands. So maybe there is a little bit of a lag there still. If you're drafting Kyrie 
Understand he's probably only playing 68 games this coming year at most. Maybe 70 at most. And KD, probably the same story. So then it comes down to where they go. Is Kevin Durant going at the end of the first round? Because in that situation, 68 to 70 games out of KD would probably be enough to make him a first-round totals value. Is Kyrie Irving going to be going in the in the second round somewhere? I think there's a distinct possibility he goes towards the end of the second round because he just didn't play at all this year. Uh, his numbers are not going to be quite as good as they were this season. He's going to uh, have to share responsibilities with KD, and that'll put a dent into things. But you know, just from a percentages standpoint, he gets steals. He does a lot of things that I don't think he's he's given credit for in the fantasy circle. He's Because of his health, he's generally uh, a little bit maligned by fantasy enthusiasts. So I'm still tempted to say that there's a possibility of value with those guys, even if they're not pushing. But certainly don't go into this season expecting those guys to really run up the numbers during the regular season. They just don't have that luxury with as beat up as they have been. Aren't you glad we didn't do that one at the end of yesterday's show? That would have really strung the show along a little bit too far. The Orlando Magic, the next team on the docket. 33-40, and 40, the numbers for Orlando last year, and sitting right at the bottom of the playoff picture as per usual. The Magic are uh, relatively hamstrung. They're not completely boxed in on the money side, but I also don't know that they can do anything significant. They're paying uh, Nick Vucevic $26 million this coming year. His salary actually decreases by $2 million a year. Uh, Aaron Gordon is making 18 mil. Evan Fournier has a $17 million player option. with with, And that one, actually, I don't know what he's going to do. I think if he opted out, he could probably go sign somewhere for two, three, four years at a, a slightly lower AAV, average annual value on salary, like he might be able to make 14 mil. So I don't know. Maybe he goes somewhere and signs a three-year, $42 million deal. Someone will probably give him that. Or does he take the higher number this year, try to do basically the same thing he did this last season, and then sign a deal saying, all right, well, I'll get my 342 after this year, but I'm going to take my 17 this season. I really don't know. He's uh, His production was pretty good. He's shown himself to be a, a pretty damn competent NBA player. And so uh, there, there would be a market for Fournier if he decided he wanted to test it. He's also only 27. The Magic as a team are relatively young. Vooch at 29 is really the oldest cat. They're, they're sticking into their main group coming back on this club. Uh, Gordon is only 25. He started to play better towards the end of the year. Terrence Ross, somehow also one of the older guys at 29. DJ Augustine is off the books. He was seven and a quarter million dollars. That's really the only money that came off of this team, at least any uh, significant cash, if Fournier does opt back in. The Magic are weird because they strike me as kind of this, like Portland Trailblazers East, but without the leadership element of Damian Lillard. They don't have the superstar power, certainly. But remember, a few years ago, Portland poured all of their salary cap space into a host of sort of redundant wings. Remember that nonsense? And then it was like, all right, well, they're just going to they're going to get stuck in the same spot every year. How do they get over the hump? Portland found a way semi over the hump through the magic of Dame Lillard. 
the Magic don't really have that opportunity. There's no one on that team that can do from a leadership or just a straight basketball standpoint that Lillard can. So they are the Blazers without the ability to uh, to care. <laughs> That's a crummy way to put it, but it's kind of the truth. They look up at the other teams in the East above them and see a bunch of teams that they ain't catching. And they look at the rest of the East below them and they see a bunch of teams that aren't catching them. At least not as it was this last season. So the Magic are marooned in this edge of the lottery, edge of the playoff scenario. And I don't know that there's a clear path over the hump, especially with Jonathan Isaac expected to miss most of next season, if not the whole thing. To me, he was the one kind of wild card with that team that if his offensive game continued to evolve and he continued to be this unreal defensive presence, he could have changed what they were able to do a little bit even without the star power on that club. But without him, I mean, it's the same thing. It's run run back your eighth seed. So I don't know how this team next year really pushes in any meaningful way. I, I mean, they're on a treadmill. I would say look for someone in a contract year. Maybe that's the guy that gets going crazy, but that would only be Evan Fournier if he opted in and Markel Fultz. These are not the guys that you're excited to drop into your fantasy lineup and say, man, I hope this dude gets me 78 games this coming year. Sure, it'd be useful. Fournier was solid this season, but that's not the guy you're... I mean, like, Vooch would be the one you'd look at and say, oh boy, I hope he plays most of the season. I sure I sure hope he stays healthy the whole year. Vooch was number 18 on a per-game basis this year. He played 62 of uh, Orlando's 73 games, which was meh, not that far off from league average, frankly, this season. And you're probably looking at something like that next year. He's going to try to play, but if he's banged up, who cares? There is one little element that does work in Orlando's fantasy favor, and that is next year there's a possibility that if the Wizards don't move Bradley Beal and have John Wall back, and he's even remotely close to what he was before, Pre, pre-fat and pre-injury that the Magic might be getting chased by the Wizards and might be getting chased by the Bulls, depending on what they look like under a regime that's not actively sabotaging their team. So you might see the Magic actually have to fight for that eight seed, and that's useful because if their guys do miss intermittent games during the middle of the regular season, you might get the bonus of their guys probably having to play down the stretch. So there's that counterbalance. There's a counterweight where if they play games early, maybe they won't have to play them late. But if they miss them early, they will have to play them late. So I don't see the double negative you might see from, say, a team lower down in the Eastern Conference with some veterans like, a, oh, I don't know, Kevin Love, for instance, where you're like, oh, well, if he misses any games with a nagging injury in the middle of the year, that's just going to be compounded by the fact that he's probably not going to play down the stretch either. Unless they move him. Let's throw, we'll leave that off the table for now. We're just talking about the, the, the ability here for Magic players to maybe, you know, tack on a few games at the end of the year that under, under normal circumstances, if they're, I mean, look at them this year. The, the bubble, they were... Uh, they were terrible. Somehow they didn't pass the Nets in the bubble. 
The Nets are going to be better than that next year. Sixers, Heat, Pacers, Celtics, Raptors, Bucks, all those teams. None of those teams is really falling back towards the Magic. So they're really, truly in their own pocket. Take the Nets and move them out of the way. There's a 10-game there's a gap between the Magic and the Sixers, and there was a 7.5-game uh, gap between the Magic and the Wiz by the end of the bubble. Six to the Hornets, seven to the Bulls, eight and a half to the Knicks. They, they're, they were in their own pocket. So our hope here is that Bulls, Wizards, maybe those teams give the Magic a little bit of a push. And once you get towards the end of the regular season, at that point, even though they've been on a treadmill all year, they're going to want to make the playoffs. The one thing that would really sour it for Orlando would be, ugh, we did all this same crap all over again and we didn't even get to go to the playoffs They'd at least love a chance to go get waxed by, you know, Milwaukee or Boston or whoever the hell's the top seed in the East next year. Go get beat up. Get a, get a couple of playoff games in. They're fun. It's a, like a little reward for lasting through the regular season. They might not make the playoffs. There's, I guess there's a possibility the Wizards and Bulls pass them next year. It just, you know, seems like it's Orlando's eight seed to lose, basically. Did Orlando change the way they play? That's the other part of this question going forward. Remember, that was our favorite overbet team towards the end of the regular season and then early in the bubble. They had completely revamped their pace. They went from a team that was trying to keep teams around 100 and play around 100 to gunning for that 110-115 mark. First to 110 wins with Orlando. And if they play like that next year, then Vooch, his value goes up. Gordon's value would would see a big spike in the positive direction. T. Ross's value goes up. If Fournier opts out, Terrence Ross becomes a really interesting fantasy player. He would, I don't know if he'd start, but he'd certainly get more opportunity. Everybody would. And then you'd have to wait and see who they might bring in. Al Farouk Aminu is probably going to get playing time next year with, with no Jonathan Isaac, uh, provided he comes back healthy. A lot of moving pieces with Orlando. I think when you roll, when you when you sort of sum them, when you sigma all that joint, I, I think they're a team that I like for next year. I think they'll miss a few games because they're all stuck on a, a meaningless, like existential issue type of treadmill. Hey, we don't have any guys. We're not going to be able to get any better. We're not getting any worse. We're living in basketball purgatory at the edge of the bubble. Uh, but at least we're playing fast now. <laughs> <laughs> so I like him. I'm pro Orlando Magic. I think Vooch ends up getting drafted later than he should most of the time. Uh, T. Ross should be interesting next year if they're playing fast. That helped him a ton. It helped Aaron Gordon a ton. But, again, we have to see what they do. Free agency will be interesting. Fournier's decision is going to loom large. and And then you roll from there. Third team today is the Wiz. I'm the Wiz, and nobody beats me. 25 and 47 this year after a rough and completely unnecessary visit to the bubble without their two best offensive players. Thomas Bryant went ham in the bubble with nobody else around, but it was good at least, by the way, to see him healthy. He's clearly not going to do what he did those last eight games. Thomas Bryant was a first-round pick in the bubble. He's not a first-round guy overall. With Bradley Beal, if they re-sign Davis Bertans, with John Wall healthy, Thomas Bryant goes back to being a, you know, fourth, 
ish, maybe fifth type option on that team. But again, I want to stress the importance of he was healthy. He played big minutes in the bubble against all odds. I don't actually really know why they even did that, but he made it and he was great. He was playing 30 some odd minutes a game, right? I think he was, uh, what was he in those eight games? He was at 31 minutes a game. He was top 10, 19 and nine, two three pointers, 3.4 defensive stats. Okay, we get it. Yeah, that's, you know, that's not going to stick for an entire season, but it's good to see him play 30 plus minutes a game. And there's really no one else that's challenging him for the center position. Mo Wagner, he'll play limited stuff off the bench. Yamahimi should just not be playing at all at this point. So then you got Beal, Wall, guys that can get Bryant some easy looks. Usage, however, is value. So you can't be like, well, you know, even if, if his field goal percent goes up from 55 to 60-something, that covers up for him uh, only taking eight shots instead of, like, 14. No, obviously you want him taking the shots. But being on the floor, that'll be good for his rebounding. That'll be good for his blocks. That'll be good for his steals. That'll be good for assists. All of that stuff comes down to, is he going to play and then playing with all these other guys, it's going to impact the uh, the power that his field goal percent has and his scoring. So there are, you know, the downsides there are are obvious, but the minutes played is is the big key for him. Uh, I don't know how you draft John Wall unless he falls really far, which he might actually. He may disappear into the void. In which case, screw it, you take a, ch- a chance on him. He'll miss some games here and there, so don't expect him to play every night. I think the Wizards are kind of stuck. We'll talk about this team with Josh Millman on Friday's show. He and I actually disagree on whether or not the Wizards are are stuck or sort of able to maneuver in any way. But they're paying John Wall uh, a a truckload. They owe him almost $150 million over the next three years. And so then, yeah, you could move Bradley Beal, who's younger, more talented at this juncture. His contract is a little bit easier to swallow for a team. He would be a, a, a star on some other club. But it doesn't get the Wizards out from their issue. They can't go into full rebuild mode as long as John Wall's 40-some-odd-million-dollar salary is just hanging over the team. So if I'm the Wizards, I just go compete this year. Go have some fun. Let the guys play together. Resign Davis Bertans, get your gunner from the outside. Yamahimi's 16 mils coming off the books. Uh, Thomas Bryant is on a very team-friendly contract. He's only making $8 million a year. They got Ish Smith uh, for six mils. Your backup point guard. Rui on his rookie deal. Jerome Robinson, Troy Brown, Mo Wagner. All these are young guys, so they're not making much. And, and let them all grow together. Bunch of former first-round picks over the last few years. Hanging out. Getting run with a couple of veterans, perhaps. So I think if you're the Wizards, you just you just let him go. See what happens. I think that the guys that are healthy are going to play hard. There, there was always this fear that Wizards players were going to be missing a ton of time. The Wizards ended up playing 72 games this year, but only 64 before the bubble, and Bradley Beal played in 57 of those, despite really having no shot to do anything. Beal's value goes down. There's no question about that. His usage is going to take a big hit with John Wall back, so I certainly wouldn't be that high on him. Uh, again, unless he slips, I just, I, you know, I don't see the slippage being far enough. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he falls to, like, the third round or something like that. But I think his durability is going to be a big deal. You know, his value drops from a first-round pick to probably a second- or third-round guy, but I love him because he's playing. 
I think Bertans is going to have some value, but I, I don't think it'll be nearly as high as it was this year with John Wall back. And then Thomas Bryant, who got drafted high and stunk for most of the year, he might get drafted a little lower this coming year and outperform it. I think he'll try to play as many games as possible. He wants his minutes to be higher. There are some opportunities on this Wizards team, and I frankly, I think they will push. I think they want to make the playoffs. I don't think they'll do anything when they get there, but I'm sure they'd love to oust the magic and just sneak into that last spot. They feel like they can do it. They weren't that far away. Even this year, pre-bubble, they lost, what, they lost like three games. I mean, they weren't that close. They were like four and some odd five games back, something like that. That's that's not that crazy. That is a make-upable amount of space if Bryant and Wall play most of next year. So why not? Why not try? You might see them miss the last few games of the year if they do get eliminated and they're two, three, four games out with a week to go. They'll just miss the last few games. But I, I wouldn't worry about that on a roto stand. I, I think I'd... Depending on where these guys fall to, I think I would take the shot. And finally, the Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets at 23-42 and 42 this year. Uh, they did not make the bubble. They played in only 65 games. So now we're starting to get into that chunk of teams in the Eastern Conference. And I wanted to roll them into today's conversation. And honestly, you almost could have rolled the Bulls into today's conversation. But they are their own very long story. The Hornets were uh, overachievers, underachievers, and then maybe a little overachiever again. Largely overachieved early before teams had a bead on them. And then teams realized that this team can't shoot. The Hornets were one of the worst field goal shooting teams in the NBA. Uh, Devontae Graham, high, high volume, 38%. Terry Rozier, pretty damn high volume, 42%. P.J. Washington, 45.5. Miles Bridges, 42.5. Pretty much every on this, everybody on this team taking shots was bad at making them. Cody Zeller took 8.5 shots a game at 52%. He was the only, really the only guy who played meaningful minutes that shot better than 46%. That's rough. So then you ask yourself, um, what's the growth curve for these guys like? Is Terry Rozier going to get better? Is Devontae Graham going to get better? Is P.J. Washington or Miles Bridges or any of those guys actually going to turn a corner and be fantasy relevant for a first time? What I will say about this Hornets team is that I think, you know, for the most part, they're young. They're, they're pretty damn young. They did a pretty good job this year, honestly, of even being remotely competitive with a roster that I don't think most people thought was going to be in the ballpark of competitive. They, had, they have the advantage now of Bismack Biombo coming off the book, so that frees up $17 million if they want to go spend that on someone. Nick Batum, uh, did he retire? No. Well, he's set to make $27 million this coming year. I mean, if he's... I want to make sure I'm not forgetting something on Nick Batum. I think he's going to take his cash, right? He should, in any event. Um, so that's the big contract that's left. And then, you know, Cody Zeller at 15 mil. They, they pretty much have no one on contract after this coming year. Terry Rozier is the only one. Devontae Graham is set to make $1.6 million this coming year. Miles Bridges, four. P.J. Washington, four. Malik Monk, five. This team's going to be gunning, man. The question is whether or not they have the talent to get over the hump. I don't think so. I don't think they really get markedly better Unless they bring in someone interesting. I mean, they've got the, the space to do it. I just don't know 
what they're looking for. Are they looking for someone to replace Cody Zeller at center? Are they looking for uh, a power forward? I mean, what's the plan here? Is the plan to let Bridges, Washington, Monk, Rozier, who's the old goat at 26, basically, and and Graham, is, is the plan to just let all those guys play another year together, hope that they got a little bit better? It could be. It's a little boring for the fan base, but it's not a horrible idea from a team growth standpoint. And then if you show yourselves to be competent enough, they'll have, they'll have $90 million to throw around during the next offseason. So who knows? that? Because Batum and, and Zeller would come off the books at that point. So this could be a very young and, from a fantasy standpoint, kind of interesting team. If you think Devontae Graham, if you think his shot improves... Does Terry Rozier, well, I don't know what his next growth area is, be field goal percent or passing, I guess, but it seems like he's playing a lot of off ball. I mean, you're, you're probably looking at a team that sort of kind of are who they are. Now, are there any, any shots freeing up? No, not really. The guys that are coming off the books for this team are generally just old guys that they overpaid that weren't doing anything anyway. So Zeller will be the same. Bridges will probably be the same. Maybe he can be a bit more consistent, and Washington will probably be about the same. Maybe he can improve his free throw shooting. That would get him closer to the top 100. Devontae Graham, I mean, if his field goal percent goes from 38 to 40, he jumps towards the top 50. It really wouldn't take much for him. Just try to eliminate that anchor stat. And then with Terry Rozier, I I really don't know. This is all going to come down to ADP, because these are young guys. They're going to play when they're healthy. They were very durable this year. You know, Miles Bridges played in all 65 games. Rozier and Graham each only missed two. So durability is not an issue. The desire to get out there and play games isn't really an issue. The, the issues, I think, are do we even want most of these guys? And then what if they get eliminated right at the very end of the season? You might see two, three missed games at that point. But this is a team to me that is generally neutral from a what-did-the-storyline-tell-us standpoint. It doesn't matter. They missed the playoffs. They were slightly better than expected this year uh, for the 65 games that they did get to play. They will probably, the young guys will likely get a little bit better next year. All together, they've got five of them. When I say five young guys, so they, they could get you know, incrementally better. And then just hit it and do the reset button. They're in the, the normal upward trend of the growth curve, and that's when guys are pretty much playing their basketball games. So narrative-free, the Charlotte Hornets coming into this next season. Hey, guys, make sure to check out manscaped.com and use coupon code HOOPBALL20 when you do so. Again, we really need to move a couple of units this month of October. That is how we can maintain our amazing corporate partnerships with the good folks over at Manscaped. Again, manscaped.com, the promo code HOOPBALL20, 20% off. Free shipping, 20% off and free shipping on your order of the Lawnmower 3.0 or whatever you want to get over there. They've got all that cool stuff. Uh, I still need to get my darn nail kit. I forgot to do that, and I know that sounds like I'm, uh, you know, fancy. I'm not. Uh, I, I pick my nails when the Dodgers are in the playoffs, which they obviously are right now, and um, I got to start stop cutting my nails with a fish line clipper. 
It's time. So I'm going to go to manscaped.com and get myself a luxury nail kit with coupon code HOOPBALL20. I suggest you do the same or get yourself a lawnmower and actually, you know, clean yourself up. You're disgusting. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a HOOPBALL presentation. I am Dan Bespers. Thank you, as always, for spending your day with us. Uh, Industry mock draft, a way too early mock draft, is actually underway as of yesterday. We will indeed break that down starting next week on the show. So we got stuff. You want stuff? We got stuff. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll talk to you first thing Thursday morning. We'll wrap things up. Last five teams in the Eastern Conference, Bulls, Knicks, Pistons, Hawks, and Cavaliers. Manana. We'll talk to you then. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.